This is Coda Radio, episode 284, for November 20th, 2017. Friends, and welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. Why me? Well, thanks for asking. My name is Chris, but joining us this week, as if he joins us every week, it's our host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, hello, Mike. Hello. Hello, Mr. Hello. Fisher. Hello, handsome. It's good to be with you. It's good to have better audio this week. We're still working out some of the finer details as we are beginning an effort to improve the audio of this year program because last week we were struck with a double failure, network issues and a primary recording issue. But we, we pushed on and hoped for the best. <laughs> so, Much like desktop Linux users. Yeah, yes, exactly. So... We are on a new system this week, and then we're going to be refining this to make it sound even better. So your feedback is appreciated and your patience is appreciated. But we have so much to get into that my head's kind of spinning at at some of this stuff. And I thought we should ground ourselves in some feedback because nothing brings it home like the good feedback of the people. Do you agree? A little good feedback here? No, I'm all into fascism. Good and bad, actually. So, Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's start with uh, this first one that I thought probably was a question that a lot of people are kicking around. It came in from P.T. Dave, and he says, I'm on a bit of a search. I'm trying to compare DigitalOcean to other services like Azure and AWS. I've been looking at these. I've been on DigitalOcean for years now. And as far as I can tell, DigitalOcean is pretty untouched when you compare some of their services to the price. Is there something that I'm missing that things like AWS or Azure are providing in speed or reliability that DigitalOcean doesn't have? And so I thought this might be a good chance on the show to address what would be the right work case for like an AWS instance versus uh, a VPS instance because you can you can host websites with both. You could you could uh, theoretically use them for a, a lot of the same use cases, but it doesn't necessarily make sense to do that. Right. So AWS and Azure offer lots of different services, but the core service is really elastic hosting. And what that means is your billing and your uh, resources on the box itself scale to usage for the most part. You know, it used to be like that was the simple answer to this question. And now as these technologies have matured, these companies offer all different kinds of services. Like Amazon now actually offers VPS hosting. But yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't it's getting more blurry in that regard. Yeah, I don't know many people who are actually using Amazon for that. They're usually using the EC2 Elastic hosting, and that's basically what people are using Azure for, other than like the Microsoft services that I I am not the person to talk to about. Um, so it's really simple, right? I use DigitalOcean as my default, and if I think that I have an application such as a particular girl named Alice that might get lots of bursty traffic and need to be a little more flexible on the scaling than, than a uh, more elastic host probably makes more sense, right? So the use case really is with a DO droplet, which is basically what they call an instance, but it's like BPS, right? So 
and they're a sponsor and I love to go. Don't get me wrong, but like everybody's got to brand everything these days, right? It's just yes. It is very hard to scale those up um, without any downtime. So meaning that you can't like automatically double the ramp because you need it and scale it back down. Where that's exactly what some of the elastic hosting offerings by like AWS and Azure do. But on average, with low traffic, DO is like a hugely better deal. So if you can easily predict your traffic, your DO droplet is going to be far cheaper than AWS or Azure, unless you have some sort of credit or deal with AWS or Azure. But if you can't predict your traffic or your traffic is variable and bursty, you might end up being better off with like an elastic solution such as EC2 or uh, I think Azure calls it like Azure websites or something. And I'm going to say this next bit with a, a bit of skepticism, but I also feel that serverless is becoming a bigger and bigger deal constantly. Yeah. So there's actually, you, you, that's a great point. There's two other big things that DO doesn't currently do. They don't have a serverless offering, right? So if you want to do like Azure Functions or AWS Lambda, like we talked about a few weeks ago that I'm doing some F-sharp and Azure Functions, that's, you're not getting that with DO. The other thing is um, uh, Microsoft. If you like actually have to host a, an IAS application or a legacy.net application, then DO is totally out of the game because they don't do Windows hosting. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things I might, I was just thinking I might add to this conversation is even if you have your entire infrastructure on AWS or Azure or, or even Rackspace, um, there's still sort of a perfect role for DO in a lot of cases because you want some you want some sort of backup site that can be available if your primary infrastructure goes down, uh, or you might want something that's offsite backup. Dio has the thing that they have that I really like is they have the option of block storage or object storage, and they have the private networking, yeah. which makes it really great for like secure offsite backups. And so there's a lot of different ways you could still use Dio infrastructure, even if your entire company runs on AWS. Uh, like right now. Or any VPS. I mean, not to go into full sales mode. I just mentioned that because – sorry, one more thing. It's just I think yeah. that you're actually you're, – you're kind of making a mistake if you're all in on any one particular infrastructure. That was my No, that's true. And just to leak from the top a little bit, like we have some new features for Alice coming out that I'm actually using even though it runs mostly on Azure. I'm using DL block storage for because it was just – even with the Azure credits, it was just far more economical to do that. Yeah. Um, one – one other little thing, you mentioned Rackspace, and I, I try not to be negative anymore on the show. Oh, really? Aw. How, <laughs> however, uh, don't, don't do Rackspace. I'm sorry. Like, like, Dio is a sponsor, and I would recommend everybody use Dio because I personally use Dio. That's how they became a sponsor. But even if you like, don't like Dio, check out like Linode or one of the other million options. Rackspace is way overpriced. And it is designed to rip off IT directors. Uh, like, okay, is, yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely designed. Scam. It's definitely designed for large IT. I, I it's a scam. That. Did you see their pricing? It's. I mean, I've dealt with a lot yeah, of clients what, on Rackspace. It's yes. a scam, dude. Come yes, on, no. they, the support's not that good. It, like they. All right. <laughs> I'm just saying. Sorry. It's the same argument people made for buying IBM and Oracle. That you won't get fired? Yes, exactly. And they, they're known for fanatical support. They're known fanatical for building... Fanatical support. It still takes them 24 to 48 hours to get back to you with any useful information. <laughs> I think we're actually... So does DO. Like, what's the difference? Oh, like, yeah. one is five bucks a month. One is 50. Like, 
Right. Come on. The thing, the thing that I like all, out of all of these services is if there's a way for me to quickly create a machine, try something out, and quickly destroy it with really low time and, and uh, financial cost. Yeah, I like to script out my demo machines. So it's this super is, easy. Right. Yeah. So this yeah. is another area where, where there's sometimes some differentiation in the product. But I guess like uh, – so say you're trying to build a distributed CDN. That might be more of an AWS product potentially. Uh, say you're trying to host a single website. Um, you could do that in any one of these instances. You just have to look at like how much of the stack do you want to control. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a question that's going to be changing a lot over the next year or two especially as serverless is a bigger and bigger, more and more common topic. But also, really these days, it's like the, the, the main web application is getting smaller and smaller and you're relying more on more on remote services APIs. And so the, the planning and thought that has to go into the infrastructure behind the website, I think is, going, is fundamentally been shifting now for a while and going to continue to do so. One more feedback. One more I think we have lined up here. Uh, this is from yesterday – or yesterday. feels kind of like it. This is from last week's episode 283. Uh, and the topic of WebAssembly came up and you dismissed it out of hand. And so uh, Jam163 wanted to point out that some of your main complaints that you have with JavaScript – uh, maybe some of the fundamental arguments for its replacement eventually, but what Jam primarily points out is that with WebAssembly, you just have considerable performance gains that Mozilla and others are constantly marketing and touting. And there, and they are there are some demos out there that show them and quantify them a bit. Uh, so I guess this, the, are you skeptical of those claims themselves? Is his question around WebAssembly? No, we talked about this last week. I'm not right. I I absolutely believe that WebAssembly is going to be very performant and that large-scale native-like native performing applications, and we're going to talk about this later, can totally be built with technologies, um, and one of them may be WebAssembly. Yeah. What I don't believe, given my, you know, over a decade of experience now, is that uh, if you bet against JavaScript, you will lose. I believe that to my core. Mm. So if WebAssembly is going to win... JavaScript is going to be compiling to WebAssembly. Okay. No one's replacing JavaScript. This really is what you're saying is that the momentum behind JavaScript is unbeatable, not that WebAssembly will What I'm it. saying is that WebAssembly is a good technology, but positioning WebAssembly as a way to get around using JavaScript is a fallacy. You are not going to get around using JavaScript. WebAssembly is just going to make JavaScript faster, just like V8, by the way. Right, like this is all. These aren't new concepts that WebAssembly is bringing to the table. What's new in sneer quotes is that people think WebAssembly is the answer to getting rid of JavaScript. You're not going to get rid of it. it. I mean, of course, I mean like mainstream, right? Of course, if you have a little startup in your certain greenfield, you could just not use it. But in general, people people aren't. All right. Let's, let's walk it back. If your position is WebAssembly allowed, will allow the world to move on from JavaScript, that is a just like obviously false statement. Okay. That's fair. Um, and I think my position was in last week's episode uh, was I was hopeful it could replace a lot of JavaScript applications that are probably built by large corporations. And, you know, <sighs> okay, but what do you mean replace? So, so this is the problem. People think Web, WebAssembly is not a development platform in its own right. WebAssembly is, you know, people doing WebAssembly don't even know they're doing WebAssembly, right? They're writing in JavaScript, probably, or maybe TypeScript. Yeah. 
Maybe. So, it's not, Maybe. so what do you mean replace? It's going to be a technology implemented by the browser, right? So, like V8 or Chrome could implement it. And, the, yes. and then I guess it would technically replace it. Yes. But JavaScript is still the language running the logic of the application. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm referring specifically to uh, like an A-B demo that Mozilla put together. I think – or no, I, I can't remember if it was Mozilla or if it was an independent developer. Anyways, he was, it, was, it was a presentation advocating WebAssembly and he did some comparisons of, of essentially once the application is loaded, uh, it's, it's like near native speed. It is native speed on the, on the, on the host system. So you do have to sure, essentially sure. run it but in what, the browser. What, but, but what does that have to do with JavaScript? I think, Nothing. Well, I think they think some of the things that are solved by JavaScript today could be replaced by WebAssembly. I don't. I don't think. No. It's a, I don't think. No. It's a no. 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 You're on the wrong layer of the stack. Right. Well. No. You're just. You're just flatly wrong. Okay. okay. So let, let's take a weak analogy here. But all right. let, let, for all my for all, for our many Microsoft listeners, um, let's talk about the CLR. Right. Mm-hmm. C sharp. F sharp. May God have mercy on your soul. VB are all com- compiling to the CLR. WebAssembly is at that CLR level. I mean, this is a weak, weak analogy, a weak abstraction. I understand there's differences. Don't write in emails. My point is, WebAssembly is not replacing C Sharp or F Sharp in this scenario. WebAssembly is replacing whatever was before the CLR, right? So, like, WebAssembly is going to replace the JavaScript engine in the browser. It is not going to replace the JavaScript. Language. No, no, no. So, so, so the idea that WebAssembly is the answer to the JavaScript problem. Well, so it only is. Go ahead. Take Electron apps. Imagine a world where Electron apps are essentially written in WebAssembly. But they're not. They are not written in WebAssembly. That is. That is. um, Okay. That would be like saying not today. Never will be. They will be written in a language, probably JavaScript type or TypeScript, that compiles into WebAssembly. Right, but the end result would be something. But what does that have to do? So the way this question was framed is, will WebAssembly replace JavaScript? And the answer is no. That's like saying, will LLVM replace C? See, but no. I, I am talking about I'm talking about the end result application that that you that the actual Who cares? client. Well, the client what is cares that? because it's, that's not the that, that's not the question that was asked. You're, you're you're answering a different question. Yes, it will be faster. I think WebAssembly is good, but I think if you, the, the question that was asked by the writer. Was WebAssembly, will WebAssembly replace JavaScript and solve the problems of JavaScript? Right. I, I felt like you said there is no. 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 Because no. it's JavaScript that is going to be predominantly written right. and compiled into WebAssembly. I think, I think what Jam and I are both talking about is the, the end result that users run in their web browsers. Yeah, I'm all for that, right? I mean, nobody thinks that like applications are slower. No one is making that <laughs> no. argument. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, all right. So he also says he enjoyed hearing about. And also, Dev- Swift is terrible. Oh, I had oh, oh, he also says he enjoyed hearing about DevFest. Uh, he's only been to a few Google workshops, but their programmer-oriented get-togethers have always been worth it in his experience. So interesting there too. Interesting. Rumor has it uh, you're going to be at Linux Fest. Uh, I'm, I, I've been hearing that from lots of people in the Discord room this morning. Lots of people been saying. Wait, I am. Mike's, when is that? Mike's coming to Linux Fest this year. I was like, wow. So, I so the trouble with Linux Fest, I don't know the dates. It tends to overlap with my no. anniversary and son's birthday. <laughs> it tends to overlap with a lot of things because they move it around. Uh, so last. Year, it, if so this oh. year it is the twenty. It's April twenty eighth and 29th. Um, I my son's birthday is. A- 27? I don't want to hear don't, this. This I, isn't. These are just. These are. You know what? That's more reason to bring him to the Pacific Northwest and have a, have a Washington birthday. Get him a nice. Uh, you know, every, give him a pop brownie for his birthday. Listen, every, first of all, no. 
Every every bait. I, listen, I live in the south now. A pot brownie with some with some candles on there, a little frosty. No, no. <laughs> but every baby does need his first Puppy OS distro. Is that still a thing? Puppy Puppy <laughs> yeah, Linux. I think it is. I, I mean, there I'm you not go. Sure the one to, I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing fully this year because uh, we, we we're throwing around a couple of different ideas. So if you're not there in person, you might be there in Skype because we one of the well, things we're thinking what, about doing is recording shows from there. If I can get some spouse approval, I'll swing by. Yeah, just jump in the transporter, dude. You'll be fine. Just quantum leap over, right? Okay, first of all, the spore drive. First of all, the trans. Uh, don't don't trigger me, man. Yeah, why? Don't you don't don't trigger me. Mid season finale. That's all I'm gonna say. Mid season finale. All I'm gonna say is I will choose my own pain. All right. Like, <laughs> I just I don't know. I just mid season finale was. That's all I can say. All right. So hey, let's uh, just right, whatever. Let's just move on. We have lots of hoopla to do, so I want to mention Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash coders to sign up and support this show. This is a great resource to learn a hell of a lot more than what you might know today or jump into a new career track or maybe even get ready for those big certifications. It's a full-featured training library with everything you need to learn new skiers and skills or skiers. I suppose skiers are like career skills. They're skiers. <laughs> it's everything you need to learn and go hands-on with self-paced in-depth video courses on every Linux cloud and DevOps topic. We were just talking about AWS and Azure. They have great courseware on that. Also, OpenStack, too. They can demystify OpenStack in just a few short hours. It's worth it just for that. Hands-on scenario-based labs, which are a game-changer for me. When I checked out Linux Academy, I was blown away with this feature because I just chatted with the founders when they were launching it. And I I'd got an idea of how cool it was, spinning up these servers on demand, connecting them with the courseware and the distributions chosen, linking it all together to people's accounts. Like, it was a cool system. And when I checked it out, it was pretty transparent. You know, SSH in, pow, all of a sudden I'm in an environment, I can get to work and I can start learning immediately. They have course schedulers that let you pick a time frame and stick to it, help you keep a goal even when you're really busy, practice exams and quizzes, iOS and Android apps, and offline study guides. And Lesson audio. They also have instructor mentoring, which is real humans when you need help. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go there to support the show and sign up for a free seven-day trial. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Facebook and Microsoft are joining forces in support of an open source AI platform? What? What? And, and more importantly, to make me delete a blog post draft I had written. <laughs> oh, well, that is more important, obviously. So yes. yesterday, Amazon announced ONNX MXNet. Onyx MXNet? I, I don't know. It's the Open Neural Network Exchange. It's a deep learn with where you can, I guess, share deep learning models. This is kind of cool. Uh, it's, it's, this is uh, necessary. This is uh, using the Apache, the Apache MXNet um, models. It's signifying the companies on board with Facebook and Microsoft's efforts to open source AI. So these are a few major companies that are getting involved with this. And good news for all of you developers out there has your favorite Python package. So you can plug right into it and start running models based on open source ONNX models, I guess. There's got to be an easy way to say that. Um, that's pretty cool, Mike. I mean, this seems like we're sort of coming down on a standard way to share these things. No, this makes a ton of sense, right? Because there's a tremendous amount of resources being used and frankly wasted developing these uh, ML models by different organizations. And it's just, um, in fact, this is one of my takeaways from the uh, Google Fest that was just at in Orlando. Google has basically duplicated everything Microsoft has already done. Mm. And that's great. Like they've done, they've done some things better. Right. And some things I think Microsoft actually got a little more right. 
Um, and Facebook, I'm sure, has done the same thing. And Apple can't release a speaker. Ooh, that's too easy. Oh, too easy. Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Um, so, yeah, but that's a tremendous amount of waste. Right? Yeah, you got Google so, reinventing their own thing with with an impressive amount of their own uh, data that they've collected through their own products. So that's like super accurate, fine-tuned to the way they need it and does what it needs. So they probably yeah, but you know, it's set. Set. But when you come down to these MO models, like you're trying to synthesize everything down to user intent. Mm-hmm. Some things are pretty much standard, right? I would like to add an event to my calendar. I would like to, you know get make an appointment yeah, yeah. you don't need actually, you don't need two two teams of phds working on this i tend to agree i i actually find in practice everybody's uh ai or whatever you want to call it learning system where they guess my intent all to be about the same from apple amazon facebook google they all feel to be about the same level of shit quality but it does bring it does mean that apple and google are the big holdouts in this initiative that's hard for me to pronounce um, and they both are doing a lot of work in that area. So, can I fry some bacon, please? Yeah, I would. I would actually. I would love it. I've got some really nice Pacific Northwest bacon. Just oh no, 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 no! Sorry, screw your pot bacon. I have some gator bacon right here. All right, they're frying up pretty nice. What do Facebook and Microsoft have in common? I don't know. A large Microsoft stake in Facebook. All right, your buddies. Why not work together? Yeah, that's true. That is true. They right. that is that is that is very typical for them to work together. Actually, and by the way, Facebook has integrated with more Microsoft services, and Microsoft has integrated with Facebook more than any other. Yeah, like if you if it mattered more because if people were using Microsoft stuff more, uh, it would be a, a powerhouse. And Amazon well, doesn't directly compete with Microsoft, or well, they do with Azure and AWS. But Dude, I don't area, think Jeff Bezos is concerned with partnering with anybody. Yeah, he, like he wants to put your grocery store out of business, right? He's <laughs> my grocery store. No, he's like a super villain. Um, he's like Lex Luthor. Walmart. Walmart yeah. puts all of my grocery stores out of business, unfortunately, in this area. In fact, Walmart, you know, Walmart rolls Walmart. in, and then they 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 empty out. They 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 force the local community grocery store out of business, and once they close, yeah. Walmart pays the rent on the building, so that way another grocery store doesn't come in and try to start up a business there. Oh, Walmart is yeah. Don't get me started. I'm not a big fan. Of the boys from Arkansas. But yeah, you're right. They, uh, Amazon is the yeah. Walmart of the internet, so it's a fair comparison. You know, they're like each other's biggest threat right now, right? Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. it's Godzilla versus Mothma. So this is the story that I considered tossing in the dock, and then you're like, "No, we got to do it." It's the cost of JavaScript. Dude. Uh, I feel like we just uh, walked through some of this, <laughs> but I really like the visual I- they have where they touch on the network. Uh, cost of JavaScript too, which is um, actually so, how sites are built. All right. So JavaScript is like a forty-five caliber Colt under your car seat. You can do lots of bad things with it. <laughs> yeah. You can also do a few good things with it. There are more bad things than good things. Like, I don't feel like I had to say this before, but I guess I do because this article. If you're loading your JavaScript resources off of HTTP, you have already lost. Because now you have a network call, and then you have to load up the code into the environment, which, if you're lucky, is something like WebAssembly or V8, right? So, okay. Let's forget about JavaScript for a second. Let's theoretically say 
you could write a Go application where you are loading other Go classes off of the wire, off of HTTP, instead of embedding them in your application. And then you were surprised that that was slower. Right. Yeah. And and they have a you nice. You are a moron. They have a nice. Right. That is, yeah. I have run some very trivial tests that I would not put as like evidence in a courtroom, but using V8 and God forbid WebAssembly, which I actually like, JavaScript can be plenty fast. Like it's fast enough. Yeah. If you don't load all your crap off of the wire. And there's right? tips, that, there's tips yeah. in there on how to do that. You know, obviously outside of minifying and things like that, there's a bunch of other things you can do. Yeah, there's now I will say that like JavaScript has a problem of being old and there's lots of bad things in it. And I think as much as I'm dismissive of that issue, and to be fair to the author of this article, he is actually more scolding people for doing stupid shit than complaining about JavaScript. His yeah. title is just a little clickbaity. Oh. But you know, it's fine. Um you being a shitty programmer is not the problem with the language. That was mean, but I feel good about it. Yeah, I feel like all the PHP developers in the audience are like, "Yeah, Mike, exactly." Yeah, Mike, come on, Mike, come on, you want some help? It's their moment right there. Not gonna happen. All right. Okay. All right. Well, I guess I thought you were going to go somewhere deep with that, but I guess that is actually kind of the statement, isn't it? Uh, it's basically it. Yeah. Now, okay, let's throw another one in the mix here. And then uh, we're, geez, oh, 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 you know, we haven't even said we're going to do our FOSS giving stuff this week. That's okay. I got time today. Yeah. I, I've been okay. looking at Tiffany Albert videos all day, so I'm pretty ramped up. We are, uh, yeah, so stay tuned. We're going to do a uh, couple more Hoopla stories, and then it's time for FOSS giving. It is that time of year again, so get your turkey and your favorite open source projects. <laughs> And gather around the speaker. But first, let's talk about the myth of the interchangeable developer. Hmm, I like that term just right there, actually. Uh, it starts with too many times to ignore now. But I've heard man- <laughs> you in the keyboard. I've heard managers or recruiters say that any good engineer is interchangeable with any other good engineer. Sure, they might say. The lead engineer shows F-sharp for the project, and there aren't a lot of F-sharp developers out there, but really any good developer with a couple of experience years behind him will be able to adjust just as good. Oh, you're triggering me with this one. You're triggering me with this one. As if institutional knowledge and, like, baked-in understanding of how this project was built isn't super valuable. It really gets me. That is a mistake that so many companies make. Fired up now, Mike. I think you're muted. Well, I'm just letting you go on this one. Oh no, go well, ahead, Chris. This is—I mean, you put Please. this in here, but I mean, this is the this is a mistake that I think a lot of companies make that they tell themselves, "Well, we're sick and tired of this guy." Kind of goes back to our Rockstar conversation we were having recently. Um, I I know when I go into this, you you st- when you start troubleshooting a project when you've taken over for somebody and it's been it's been at the end of the time they've been there. You start with this person's an idiot. They have no idea what they're doing. How the hell did they build it like this? What the hell is their problem? And the temptation there, we've talked about it before, is to throw them under the bus and say, yeah, they really screwed up when they built this thing. I don't, I can't even, I mean, I'm sitting here troubleshooting this thing and I'm just, I'm just, I've really never seen anything this shitty before. And that's where you start usually. And then over time, you begin to come to some kind of understanding of how they arrived there and why they made the choices and the compromises they made. And it is 
it is then at this point that you re- realize that their fundamental I don't know what I don't have a better term for it but like they're like the parents of this creation like they understand this thing at like a genetic level that you're just coming along now in this thing's adult life and you're meeting this adult version and they've turns out they've got all these issues from childhood and the parent was there for all of them that's what it's like when you step in for a major project a big project and you can't replace that initial knowledge and so often companies get stuck having to sign with contracts for this person so they're available at an hourly rate and generally they try to set up some sort of time window afterwards so they're available for e- by email for a few months if possible it's uh it is a um it's a problem that managers i think can't fully appreciate because they're not familiar with the complexities of the projects that their developers or IT people are working on they just don't they don't know the whole thing through and through that's my piece on it that's my piece you have anything you want to add, or should we move on? <clears throat> I, uh, I leave room for uh, Yeah, I would add a little bit. Okay. So I think one of the issues is with the way technology evolves quickly, like let's take iOS, right? There's this treadmill effect of them changing APIs, adding frameworks, deleting frameworks, doing all this kind of crazy stuff, deprecating things. That You can't just like learn iOS one day, disappear for three years, come back, and be okay. I mean, you might be okay, but you won't be great, right? So you have to keep learning the technology you already know. Yeah, and there is actually and, value in being there when the change happened because there's so much – there's like little nuance and context that you – so you understand the reasons much better as if – than compared to when you tried something in the early days and then you just jump right back in. Right. Uh, I, I would argue that this is like an – you know, the idea of interchangeable developers is an extreme – uh, generally, right? So like, there's this idea of the specialist and the generalist, and I am more of a generalist, but there's definitely a cost to being a generalist, right? Like, you're more flexible, you can do more things, but you're not the one who like knows the deepest level of each API. You have a pretty, mm-hmm. pretty, you know, journeyman expertise in a bunch of technologies. Yeah, yep. All right, so one last thing I just want to touch on because uh, a lot of people accuse us of uh, being um, uh, always very positive on Apple hardware and and software, which I think is crap. But I think what it is is people just hate it when we talk about it. They just hate it. So I'm going to just give a little, uh, little counterbalance to that this week and say that uh, iOS 11 has been Apple's worst software release in, in years. And it continues to get worse with the updates. They 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 make a couple of steps forward, and they take three or four steps backwards. So today, people are bitching about iOS uh, 11.1 causing worse battery issues, uh, more problems with notifications disappearing. And I have to say, it is uh, it's amazing that this is their most important product, and they're blowing this. And it's got to come down to. And if you think I'm if you think I'm exaggerating. It just for casual reference, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight recent stories and uh, videos where people are discussing and discussion threads where people are discussing all of the problems with iOS 11. And it's shocking since this is what the company does. This is the revenue they make. And I bet it comes down to their development practices. Specifically, my guess here is that they forked iOS 11 if you can call it that, internally, they forked it for the iPhone 10 and for all the other iPhone hardware. 
on the iPhone 10, there is just small changes to iOS that you could do on all of the more recent iPhones that only the 10 has. Um, for example, if you press in on a couple of things on Control Center, there's uh, haptic feedback when you press the buttons. When you take a picture, there's haptic feedback when you hit the camera shutter button. That's totally possible to do in the previous versions of the iPhone. They have the haptic engine. Uh, but there's just fundamental gestures and features that do not exist in the versions of iOS 11 or they're disabled or whatever. But whatever they did when they made this essential fork between the iPhone 10 hardware and all of the other iPhone hardware, they've they fundamentally screwed up the quality of this release. It's The first version that came out was horrible. It just was nuking battery life. And there's there's been small improvements, but there's also been steps back now. And uh, it's really something. I, I, I wish the story would come out about where they went wrong because they were building pretty good traction and their adoption rates were getting pretty good and the trust in their releases since probably iOS 7 has gone way up. And now here we are with iOS 11, and it's been a train wreck. Do you have any thoughts on it? I know I, I don't. We don't have to spend a lot of time on it. I yeah, I agree. I mean, I will say that from iOS 10 to the my usage, I'm not using an A plus. It iOS has become a bit less usable for me. I saw it kind of differently. I thought they tried to make a bunch of sessions to like iPad Pro users who were really using the iPad instead of laptops, and it just didn't work out. But I don't even think it's that good on the iPad. Like one one thing that bothers me is I listen to a lot of music and podcasts and audiobooks, and the fact that they squeeze the audio control and control center to this little square that no title could possibly fit in, right? So it's always like the ellipsis thing is pretty annoying to me. Like I think they went like all, all of Control Center to me on the iPhone went backward. Yeah. I I uh I mean UI elements here and there changing that's you know comes and goes with different releases but like fundamental quality declines like this uh I I got to say it's pretty disappointing because I think Android's been getting a lot better at this. Oreo was overall a pretty big improvement for my Nexus 6P. And battery life is pretty great now. It's it's the best it's ever been and that phone is not new. Well, this is not a new pattern though, right? On iOS in general. It's not always true. But in general, the newest version of the OS is usually an, uh, a nice OS for the newest phone or the highest end phone, and it's yeah. for the others. Yeah, it is much better on the ten than it is on the seven. It is much better. Right, and I have the A plus, and it's it's not great. But my wife has the ten, and some of the things just fundamentally make more sense on the ten. I think. Yeah, and the the glitches like the notifications not appearing and stuff like that right. haven't been present for me on the ten, and the battery life. Well, you- is- you can tell that, like, the iPhone 10 is the iPhone they really wish they could have built how many years ago, right? Yeah. It's, and I, I mean, this is blasphemy, but I've used my wife's, I've played with it. I don't like it. Yeah. To me, it's, I, it's, it's much more in line with the Pixel or the Nexus line where they were also buttonless on the, frame, on the face. It doesn't, see, to me, like, they're giving up so much practical functionality to be buttonless. I, like what I, though? What? I mean, the the, you know, the Android devices have been pulling off buttons. I blind, so I blind use my phone all the time. Yeah, change songs, respond to text messages, things like that. The iPhone 10 that's really difficult to do. No, you one because you can't. No, you have the notch. Yeah. You just feel the notch. Yeah, but you can't unlock it blind. Oh, but 
Yeah, but Face ID is actually pretty usable. Uh, I don't know. See, I, I, I think it's because I travel a ton. I'm driving a ton. Like, See, actually, you can't that's, just, what like I, that's what I do is I, I actually find it much easier when I'm driving because when really? I'm driving, I have to, I'd have to reach across and try to get my thumb just right. And, you know, sometimes it'd be bouncy. But now I have the I have the phone mounted on the dash and I just look over at it and I just flip up and it's. So that's the difference. I don't have a mount on my dash. I just put it in the cover. Oh, and yeah. I put it face. I put it upside down, so it's easy just to put my finger on it. Yep. And like, I use Google Play Music and swipe right to change the song. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Well, yeah. see, I've got a because I've had Android devices for a while that support it. I've got a Qi charger um, uh, okay. mount in my in my in my truck that I can just I just put the phone in and it just starts wireless charging. And so I've always had it just kind of up there. Um, but yeah, it's. It's uh, I to me it seems like an obvious direction that a lot of phones are going to go. Less mechanical wear on the on the button is, uh, for whatever reason, is huge. It's a huge deal in Asian markets. So that alone is going to drive, I think, a lot of phones that direction. Um, and well, it's I, a huge deal because resale value, right? People buy used phones. They really. So the other, I guess, my closing thoughts on it will be uh, as somebody who is not a big fan of hidden UI elements, which gestures are the very definition of a hidden UI element. I I don't think average users do really well with gestures. And that's where I think the button has a place is it, when you sit a when you sit a, a, an average person down who doesn't trust computers, isn't totally comfortable with computers, they don't sit around and like dig through every menu and uh, try every key combination. They, if they don't see the UI element, they don't know it exists. And that's why Microsoft developed the the ribbon for Office because People just don't um, – computers are, are a little dangerous to them. They don't want to break them. So they don't feel inclined to go explore them. And that's the problem with gestures is you kind of have to be willing to explore and learn your phone. You have to take a day with the iPhone ten and learn all the gestures. And once you learn all the gestures, you're whipping through the thing at speeds that you've never whipped through your phone before. And it's obvious. And they really nailed this. The other thing they did, and I think this is something that Android would have to work on a little bit, is – all of the gestures are really, really glued to your finger. They really – it's clear where things are going and uh, they've timed it with just the perfect amount of taptic feedback. And they have a really good little taptic engine in there. So it's just right. And so there's 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 physical confirmation. There's visual confirmation and it's all timed perfectly. And that's what makes the gestures work. And so I think gestures are doable if you can nail all of those components together, which – it's going to be hard for Android, except for I would think vendors like Samsung, and obviously the Pixel line, and some of the higher end Android tiers who who have more control of the stack, they can get that down. But outside of that, it's going to be a harder and harder thing because you can have gestures, and then you can have gestures that are a little off, a little sloppy, don't track quite right, and it's a totally different use. And it it makes using them a chore versus a delight. And I think that's the sweet spot you got to nail is you got to make those gestures, make it feel like you're all of a sudden using your device in a way you've never been able to use it before. End of thoughts on that. But iOS 11 is a real shit show. And it's just barely better on the 10 hardware. And I suppose that's what happens if you throw an unbelievable amount of CPU and disk speed at it. Hopefully it just does a little better. Also, though, uh, you with the 8 should uh, you guys should both seriously consider looking at some of the Qi chargers on Amazon. It's pretty great, dude. It's pretty great because you put it on your desk, yeah, you put it next to the yeah. bed, and your phone's essentially always topped off. You put one on your desk, and so I've got this one that stands up so the phone I can look at the screen, and it's and Face ID still works. It's at the angle where Face ID works fine. Um, and I've got one at my bed. I've got one on my desk, and I don't think my phone goes below 80% all day. It doesn't have to be fast because I'm just always topping off. 
It's wireless charging, something Android users have enjoyed for a long time. Several of my Android devices had it, so I was ready to go. I already had several chargers. It was great. Anyways, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're going to talk about our favorite or, – or actually, I shouldn't say that because we have many favorites. But the open source that we want to be thankful this year. We're going to take a little moment here and uh, thank some projects. So first, let's thank DigitalOcean for uh, making this show possible. Thank you, DigitalOcean, and thanks to everybody who goes to DigitalOcean.com and uses our promo code CODERDIGITAL after they've created their account. That'll give you a $10 credit. Now, that's the secret thing about DigitalOcean that I, you can't tell anybody. Don't – nobody should know this. They have really great prices, right? Shh. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> if that gets out, oh, man, DigitalOcean has rates that will just blow your mind. If you want to try out an open source project and you want to – you just want to try it on a machine that's got really great performance like – two CPU cores, um, 20 gigabytes of SSD, terabytes of transfer. It's just like 20, that's like 20 cents an hour. I've been able to, I've been able to install and, and try out entire operating systems, distros, upgrades, um, next clouds. I mean, just like trying out just different things right before a show, you know, half hour before the show starts, I'll just build it up and I'm done in 15 minutes. They have entire stacks you can deploy. So it's like an LTS release, uh, and Docker, or you can do the total base and just load it up yourself. They have an HTML5 console. I, I, when I combine all these things, it's it's just like my go-to for infrastructure. I also now have a, a, a X2Go system up on DigitalOcean. I installed uh, Ubuntu LTS and then um, the X2Go packages, which are super simple. There's lots of guides. And then I loaded the Ubuntu Mate packages, I got I got Mate as a desktop. I got X to go ready. It's encrypting all of my remote communications over SSH. And whenever I'm stuck somewhere where I got like a tight bandwidth situation, which happens a lot for me, I X to go into my DigitalOcean droplet, and I'm then I'm then I'm on DigitalOcean's incredible incredible connections. They got 40 gigabit networks. So I mean, and then the systems are all SSD, regardless of which one you get. And then when you need additional storage, they have block block storage and object storage. So it's so great for what I'm trying to get done. And it's a great way to try out software projects and then flip it over into production. And they have some great monitoring, load balancing, firewall services that really just make it a complete complete service for something you want to put in production or something you want to try out or something you're building. DigitalOcean.com. Just use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. It's one word. CODERDIGITAL when you check out. And also over on their community section, they have an introduction to machine learning, which you might find interesting. DigitalOcean.com, create your account, and then use our promo code, CODERDIGITAL. So it's FOSSGIVING2017. This is something I used to do all the time, and I like that you're uh, you're doing this because it's uh, – I think it's it's the least we can do, actually, is call out some projects that have had an impact in our business and our day-to-day use and say thank you to them because there's so many great open-source projects out there that people are contributing a ton of time to. So we should we should try to do this every single year. That was your cue. That was like where you say, yeah, I agree or something. Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I've been doing it for just about every year since 2012. I usually don't do it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, okay. So I I like non-controversial and keep things friendly. Yeah, sure. So, of course, my first pick is Electron. Go ahead, Chris. I'll just leave this part to you. (laughs) Yeah, Mike says that uh, he likes Electron. Um, And you know what? I have to agree with you. And I'm sorry to the audience out there. What? I know, I know. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Mr. Gone Native. And- yep. 
whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but here's here's the reality. Uh, I have one, two, three Electron apps, four Electron apps that I almost use on a daily basis now. Now, I didn't choose for them to be Electron apps, but to collaborate with the people I'm collaborating with or to use the tools that I'm using or, or whatever it might be uh, – yeah, it's all, it's five. Yeah, shoot, I think it's actually five. I think it's five Electron apps. My native apps are becoming the minority. They're like the system tools, my media players, yeah. some of the tools we've built here at JB, and the rest are becoming Electron apps. And the reason why I have to be grateful, even though I'm not necessarily sure I agree with this future that we now find ourselves in, uh, the reason why I have to be thankful is it's brought applications to Linux that um, if this was last decade would never have arrived. And um, yep. it's really made a huge difference for me to use the Linux desktop and fit right in with the the rest of the business world. So first of all, resistance is indeed futile. So let's just get that out of the way. This is This is actually the dream of the Linux desktop. This is it, Electron. Really? Absolutely. Um, All of the new interesting <laughs> applications, Slack, no, I'm not kidding. I know. Slack, VS Code, Atom are all out at the same time as they're on Mac OS yep. and Windows yep. on Linux. Yep, I know. And now all of a sudden, everybody's got their Linux panties in a bunch that, well, it's exactly what we've been bitching about for 10 years, but it's not the way we want it. <laughs> it is the only way you were going to get it. Yeah, it is true. And... And you know what? On my uh, Linux machine, on my Galago, I basically exclusively use Electron apps, except for things that are built into the system. Yeah, I, and I do spec a system now. And Firefox. I yeah. used to always spec a system to run VMs, but now the reality is I use that RAM to run Electron apps. And I'm not making an Electron slime here. So You're I, not even using that much freaking RAM. Come I just, on. Well, with between that and Chrome and all this, I do use quite a bit of RAM just to do my day-to-day stupid stuff. And I always have, like, a terminal with weeks of backlog going. And I, there's well, always a few that, things. I mean, you're, you're crazy, right? Like you're, Why? I don't think so. Well, I mean, turn, turn, turn your computer off every couple of days. Uh-uh. Use no. that terminal backlog. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. no. And buy more RAM. I have some systems that I turn off all the time, and then I have other systems that are – they're ready to go at, at an instant's notice. I sit down. I can immediately start working. I turn off like the screens, and I put them in like low power mode and stuff like that. But usually they're also working on stuff for me. Like those systems are right. generally doing things too, hosting something. And yeah, I, right. I, I do spec them. I, I spec them. 16 gigs is the, is the bare right, minimum. Well, then if you're having your system also host things, I mean that's a weird scenario, right? That's not the normal user. Even the normal developer. You're not the normal No, it's for people right. who like to finishes, Right. A normal developer finishes his work and can shut down his laptop and boot it back up tomorrow morning. Yeah, like, I agree. But then there's some that are occasionally running Apache or some, you know, that you're running something locally so you can do some testing. I mean, it happens. But, but even then, you run it overnight and you can restart if you need to yeah. once the test scripts are run. Yeah. And I, here's, what really, I'd say. here's what I'd say. I'd okay. say people listening, leave a comment either on the subreddit or on YouTube which your system's current uptime is. What's your current workstation uptime? Not your server, but like, what's your workstation uptime? Yeah, well, servers are different, right? But yeah. that's why we're not running Electron. Yeah. That, I would agree, is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Bobby says, too, Slack, Discord, Chrome, Visual Code, Daily Electron Apps. All right. So, I, I, I am regrettably on board, and I don't... I don't totally I don't want to totally be an electron hater because it has enabled a lot of applications and I've met a couple of developers from I met I met I met one from Skype and one from Slack 
who are you know electron I, developers. And, you know, they I, say I, it's... I, yeah, go ahead. I'm going to push you a little bit because I listen to a lot of old Latin with a year old buddy, Brian Lunduk. And you guys used to bitch and moan every week about apps not being on Linux. And now they are. So who gives a shit what they're written? Yeah, they I mean, work fine. I guess, really. like, I guess some people do. Uh, geeks do. Geeks do. Would you rather not have them? No, and I think that's the. By the way, the, the, the same apps on Windows and Mac OS are also Electron apps, so it's yep. not even like Linux is and, getting and, second class. And how much bitching do you hear from Mac or, or uh, Windows users? Not much these days. You really uh, don't. Hear no, them. but you, you know what Mac users still bitch about? Which it doesn't look native. I, I, J- Java. No, oh. if, if you show them a Java <laughs> app, they just go crazy. Yeah. Meanwhile, they're happily running like Slack all day long. Yeah, I I'm agree. like, dude, you guys are out of your fucking minds. Yeah. Like, uh, but uh, claiming my time to respond to your question, um, it's it's you can have an ideal and you can have a harsh reality. Which guess what? Life always gives you just a harsh reality. And I agree. That's why I, I say I spec my systems to have a little extra RAM to support it. I use several of them myself, and overall, I'm thankful that it's here. And having talked right. to both a Skype and a Skype a Skype and Slack dev about building the Electron app, and it's pretty clear that if Electron if it wasn't for Electron, those apps would likely not be on Linux yeah. at all. And, and here's the other thing. The next step for Electron is if they could share dependencies with each other, like shared frameworks, those apps would also not be as big on disk, which yep. would be a big deal for folks carrying 120 GB hard drives around. Plus, you can't um, get around the economics if you're going to build a full-featured web application right. like Slack or Discord. For example, Discord's another one where there's a lot of parity between the Electron app and the web app. And it's just it makes sense because it's you're gonna if you're gonna go all in on an application like that. Listen, Reaganomics is a real thing. Trick, that's right. right. Trickle down, trickle down, trickle, depth, depth, trickle down to the <laughs> lowest common. Okay, so let's talk about uh, Node.js. Why did this one make number two on the list? Node. So I won't say that I was wrong. I would say that Node got better because of my feedback. Okay. Sure. That. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I like that. So I've spent a lot of time hating on Node. Because Node is still not a good replacement for Ruby on Rails or similar technologies. But what Node is a good thing is an engine for writing large-scale JavaScript applications, such as artificial intelligence bots. Or um, Electron apps. <laughs> or Electron apps, right. So all, all my picks this year are related. Uh, and that is an area where Node has, in my mind, excelled and become the de facto uh, winner. I still think once you import Express, you've already failed. If you are trying to like do a server-side application with uh, like a Ruby on Rails replacement, you failed. But if you're trying to do some sort of application like an Electron app or some kind of bot, Node is a great choice. And I I will tip my hat to the Node team because this shows a maturation of the technology that they have realized that just cloning Rails, not even cloning, but just trying to be like the next hot web framework. Hmm. They can do much better, and they have done much better. Thoughts? Um, no, no. I think you, I think you nailed it. I think you really nailed it. Um, I'm kind of thinking about my list. I'm, I don't know if I have three. I know I have at least a solid two, but you've right, got well, one we've more. done two of mine. So do, yeah, no. Or, or, done, do you want to do one of mine? Oh, okay. Or do you want to do all of mine? Then we'll. Let's kind of think. Let's all, all, yeah. all of mine are related. So yeah. Let's do mine. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so this one I'm not too surprised to see on your list this year. Although the people listening at Microsoft might be, it's TypeScript. TypeScript. So I have a great, uh, great quote right at the beginning of this. TypeScript. The TypeScript team came to liberate us from the complexity of large-scale JavaScript applications, and they ended up conquering the ecosystem. And you know what? 
Angular, the Google web development framework, now is written in TypeScript. And TypeScript is a first class language there. Um, I think TypeScript is good in two ways. I think as a language itself, it's excellent. I think if you like WebAssembly, then you should like TypeScript because TypeScript will probably be one of the contenders second to JavaScript that compiles into WebAssembly. I also think that TypeScript has had a very good competitive effect on the ECMAScript maintainers, which is, if you don't know ECMAScript, it's what we call JavaScript, right? It's the, would you say the standard? How would you have JavaScript's the standard? I think standard's fair. It's like the platonic ideal of JavaScript, right? And other people, <laughs> uh, right? The, um, yeah, yeah, the idol. <laughs> yeah, ES6 has effectively cribbed things from the TypeScript team into ECMAScript slash JavaScript. That if you are in an environment where you can write the ECMAScript six slash the newest version of JavaScript, you have a lot of the advantages of TypeScript without actually having to use TypeScript, which is great. Um, I so that is kind of a sideways bonus, but I you know competition is good for the Marker and the Republican, and it has I, I really think the competition from Microsoft has woken up the ECMAScript. All right. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to dominate. I really so, wouldn't. I yeah. If you think Mike's crazy, uh, hit him up on Twitter and let him know. He'll he'll uh, he'd be like he'd be he'd be liking to know. Go I love there, it. at Dumanuku. At Dumanuku. Yeah. Know. Okay, so I got a couple for you. Um, I'll start with uh, the one that is most relevant to today. Today is Ubuntu Community Appreciation Day. Today is as we record. Um, it's just kind of an initiative that's going on over at community.ubuntu.com to say thanks to somebody who works in the Ubuntu project, kind of make their day. Uh, you can uh, you can find more over there, but I guess you know I've recently I've recently got a a chance to get a better understanding of the way they work when I went to New York, but also uh, having tried out both their seventeen ten release and sixteen oh four and come back to the distro after using Arch for about three years. Um, I do have a kind of a new appreciation for the work that they do. I, I think I was most impressed by uh, really how they they really held their shit together for the seventeen ten release cycle. They uh, they started with sort of this nebulous: we're switching to GNOME and we're not sure how deep we're going to integrate, and we're not sure how much we're going to change. And they went from that position at the beginning of the development cycle to at the end of the development cycle having worked upstream with the gnome community having done their like their their light forks of the dock in a, in a really compatible appropriate way their gnome session implementation so you could log in and have all their modifications or, or log into another session have none of them and then joining the gnome foundation advisory board uh and uh, you could see the gnome project really appreciated the way canonical pulled it all off too because they they put a we heart ubuntu banner up on their website and welcomed uh, Ubuntu 17.10 users. And now they've uh, they've continued to su- con- su- fit, fix bugs and, and solve problems upstream in GNOME, uh, even with this new release cycle underway. And for users like me, there is currently a community initiative underway to keep Unity 7 alive and integrate some of the Mate applications into Unity 7 to replace some of the older apps and in the Unity branch, and and have a remix that's based on the next LTS 1804 that's using Unity 7 with some slight, slight changes to keep it modern and competitive, um, but still give you a nice stable desktop. And um, I don't know, I just really appreciate all the hard work that everybody has put in, especially since this massive restructuring of the company. I've just been really impressed. You, this could have gone sideways in a big way. 
the restructuring could have been enough to sort of sabotage the 1710 release cycle. And not only did they rise above it, but they delivered a release that's one of the most competitive releases that they've had in the entire history of the project. And meanwhile, keeping a steady hand on 1604 and making that work really great in production, I, I just I really I just have a big appreciation. So in, since today, November 20th, is a, the Community Appreciation Day, that was the top of my list right there. I, I don't have anything to add to that yeah. other than that you yeah. love. So what's your next one? All right. So this one is one of these open source applications that I'm, I'm always, always prepare myself may go away one day because it, uh, there's, it, it goes at the heart of some large corporations. But if it's not one of the most versatile, um, agnostic, platform agnostic applications that I maybe use a dozen times a day, and I know I'm a little extreme on this, but it's YouTube DL. And uh, don't let the name fool you. It's not just for YouTube. It's probably well over 200 sites or 300 sites now. It's, it's, um, it is a command line program that downloads YouTube videos and hundreds of other sites, extracts them, it allows you to select formats and qualities that you want, and is just the best way for me to collect lots of media from hundreds of different websites for our own filter show, but for all of our shows. When somebody posts an interview up on YouTube, it's a great way for me to pull stuff to watch offline when I'm when I'm somewhere with a bad connection. And it also has inspired tons of really great open source graphical applications like YouTube DLG. And I I just am so grateful that this guy or people, whoever's behind this project um, continue to update it and, and make improvements when the YouTube API changes uh, or they try to block them. And the sites that they support are uh, almost every media website you've ever heard of on the internet. It's, so it's not just YouTube. It's everything from ABC News, Al Jazeera, every main porn site that you've ever heard of to zingmp3.com. Um, so it's uh, it's it's just such a fantastic app, and it's it's available on every Linux distro. It's available in Brew, and there's tons of GUIs to use it on Windows too. So it's available for pretty much every p- p- uh, platform that somebody be listening to the show on. It's just a really great open source application, and I use it extensively for our unfilter show. Again, because it supports all of the different news outlets, it's just great for that. And there's like no tool that can do that, and it doesn't matter. What machine I sit down on because it's always just a package install away. Anyways, that's uh, so that's YouTube DL, and I recommend it uh, heartily. And uh, you can also donate at their website. I'll put a link in the show note. They take PayPal donations, and I'm uh, I'm a big fan. So there you go. I, there's probably so many. You know, I could also toss out, but I could I, my list would be 20 long. So I thought I'd name a couple new ones that haven't really done before. So there you have it. That's Chris's uh, ones. And I would maybe just say a big thank you to OBS this year. Oh, that'll be my third. OBS Studio has um, has been huge for us this year. All of our shows have been produced on Linux this year. Every single show has been Linux, and it's live-streamed and recorded using OBS. And if you want to do some live-streaming and you want to do it on the DL or cheap, uh, it's a great way to go. So OBS would be my third. There you go. I did three, Mike. Look at me. On the spot. And uh, I'd like to hear, you know, if we have time, maybe next week we'll do a couple follow-ups. If the audience wants to drop them in the like the comments for Coder, over coderadio.reddit.com or send us an email or somewhere we'll see it. The subreddit is sort of the best spot because I always check that right before the show when I go, oh, crap, feedback. Right. right. Yeah. No, I, I think those are all good choices. Um, you've played, OB, played around with OBS Studio. Did you end up going with something else? 
No, I ended up using OBS. Oh, okay. All right. Well, there you go. So, there's so, uh, so okay. So one day we need to have a hardware special. So I'm not dipping into the shows, but I am having some pretty annoying issues with my hardware. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like talking hardware. So I mean, every now and then. I mean, if, if we have that. another 15 minutes, we could do it now. Yeah. I'll just say this is the after show. Um, All right, we'll, go, we'll do an extended edition. Well, we'll, no, we'll, we'll leave it in, right? We'll leave it yeah. in, yeah, right? We'll just say, okay, so people who bitch on subreddits, the show's over. Yeah, so if Done. you want to go home, you can. Well, yeah, but I want to hear yeah. your woes because I know we've been meaning to talk about it. All right, so my Gallo GoPro. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say that it's a small German uh, fighter plane from World War II. Oh, no. <laughs> but it does sound a lot like it. I don't know why. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like I've been in contact with uh, with the good folks at System Seventy Six, and I cannot get this fan to chill. Um, and the battery life is now averaging about three hours, maybe three and a half. You know, but definitely in that three to three and a half range. Which, given the amount of travel I do, is it, pretty uh, not usable. Yeah, that's so, that's a that's a usability changer, right? I mean, it's you go from well, that's a, that's a big deal, right? Because it is funny because like you know, on a dock hooked into you know the power cable and, and the monitor, you never notice that, right? And even you don't even notice the fan as much because it's not like right in your face. Um, but traveling with it has been rough. I'm going to take it to New York and see how I feel, but I'm definitely getting a little bit of a wandering eye towards like an XPS. So um, I don't have good news for you. When in my testing, <laughs> nobody ever does. You're like the IRS. God. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I, in my testing, and uh, and then testing that uh, Martin Wimpress built on top of too, which was really good, uh, showed that essentially when when any driver makes a call to the GPU to to accelerate anything, the the CPU, which is the GPU, because it's a combo. Uh, yeah, yeah. uses like an intense amount of power, way more than like it's like a bug. It's like it's a flaw, and he was able There's to. Something's wrong in the firmware. It seems yes, like. and yeah. um, that's a sticky situation because uh, it's challenging to redistribute that firmware uh, as an OEM for System Seventy Six. I think they can now with the Galago, but it seems to be less of an issue on the ODM models that that Galago Pro is based on that don't have four K. The ones that just went with 1080p displays seem to have a lot less so, issues, and they don't so, have the yeah. same wattage issue with the CPU. Yeah. So I've talked in some of like the Discord channels and the Telegram channels for like others, like uh, JB and System76 users, and I have what appears to be the worst possible configuration. I have the quad-core i7 and the 4K screen. Yep, yep. And my fan, like I open Chrome, I the, the, the fan's rock. Like it, it, yep. it, it's hard to, and it's a little fan, so I don't know, I'm sure. Like, I've heard it. Yeah, I was, I, that yeah, was my it, number one ding in my review of it. Well, it's getting to the point like, like on a plane, it's actually like super rude. It's actually right? like it's, I, it's like the yeah. it's bad like that. By the way, don't feel bad because uh, it also would be like that if you ran Linux on a MacBook Pro. It's like with the MacBook no, Pro, I know on that. Linux, like I've done that. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's because it doesn't have the, uh, the SMC system. controller firmware stuff yeah, yeah, driver yeah. for that. Yeah, so I don't want to fully switch back to Mac, even though I'm on a Mac right now because. I actually have a workflow mm-hmm. on Ubuntu yep. that really, really yep. works for me. The same, but I, I'm also too much of a social like graces wimp to like just be the jerk who has his laptop super loud in a plane. Well, right? that battery life doesn't make it a reliable work tool. Like well, that. and it also makes it impossible. Like the flight to, so I tend to fly from Orlando to New Jersey, 
And total, like one, I, I tend to use in the terminal, right? I'll go to the bar and I'll like pound out some code with a martini. I am a caricature of myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then the flight's about an hour and a half, two hours, right? So I actually kill the machine by the time I get, get right. you know, by the time I fly into Newark or, or vice versa, I fly from Newark to Orlando. So I love the hardware. I, I love the folks at System76, but I don't know, given like my very aggressive travel schedule for the next six months, and given that replacing this machine just doesn't cost that much money relative to what I need to do, I might end up like selling it or, or just handing it down to someone else here. And I don't know though, because I looked at like Black Friday's off this Friday. So mm-hmm. if you were to buy a laptop, now is the time. That's Friday, true. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I looked at the Sputnik Dells, and you can't configure, and this is mind bending to me, you can't configure a Dell Linux edition with more than eight gigs of RAM. Oh, is it eight? I thought it was 16. Eight. Unless I messed up on the website. I mean, if you want to look, look. But huh. it, you know, they just released a whole new range of laptops, too, like seven new machines. Uh, they have, right. I was looking at the XPS 13 because I want small. Yeah, they, that would be the one I would recommend for you, too. Right. Because I, like, I, I also have, like, okay, if I want to go back to Mac 100% of the time, I have a MacBook Pro 15 inch. But one, I can't open that on a plane. Mm, oh and, yeah okay yeah it's and i'm basically flying back and forth twice a month now so too damn need, big, huh? that's interesting it, no it won't open and maybe i'm too fat maybe that's the real problem <laughs> like, it's possible but on a and i fly southwest so the seats are not very generous yeah. which might be part of the issue okay but, so if you go and customize it it adds 100 bucks to the price but it looks like you can add 16 gigs of ram where so it brings so the price to 1600 dollars when you do that on a sputnik where or is it on the windows when you well, what I searched for was Dell XPS 13 Developer Edition, because um, that's what they call it. Oh, they have rose gold now. <laughs> I tried to do it last night, and I could not. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you want – so it starts at seven ninety nine, and then if you look, I just went to – what I did, I cheated, is I went to the highest end build, which starts really high. So you might be able to find a cheaper build, and I went customize and buy on that one, the I, one that has the i7 chip, and that one let me up, up it to 16 gigs of RAM. Which I would try to do if I were you. I would. I would try to do so. And it's a lot of money, but well, it doesn't sound like that much money. Remember, I've been buying Max for years. So. Yeah, that's true. That's, <laughs> that's positively cheap. Yeah. All right, yeah. so I'm on the page. Yeah. Have you ever Have you ever toyed with the idea of yeah, just getting like a get a get a XPS 13 for travel, and then put the Galago Pro like on a desk for like uh, like a, a workstation type use case. So I have the stream of having one laptop for everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what what I've been hearing from people is if you want to use Linux, that's that's just not the way. Well, I, mean, I also like record videos and stuff, I right? Feel like the, <laughs> I feel like the yeah, I mean I feel like the XPS 13 yeah. is a pretty viable machine. I've I've had I've had one for a couple of years now. <laughs> XPS 13 developer edition. Sorry this item is not available online. Can you shoot a link in the Discord channel? Yeah. Well, they have the craziest website, so um, I don't really – you know, who knows? But yeah, just look at that, I, look at that I, URL I, I just dropped in there. It's it's almost a page long. <laughs> somebody was too lazy to do a post request, and they used to try and get rid Wow. <laughs> Dell, it needs to really work on their way. Like it's hard to find stuff sometimes. That's my main, that's my main criticism there. So how come I couldn't do this last night? The other thing you might consider, just because I know people are screaming at their yeah. podcast player right now, is uh, – 
um, Noah has a has a a ThinkPad that he likes, and I for, I don't want to say the nut model. He's talked about it on air before. The thing has it's very thin and light because he's a, like a thirteen inch laptop kind of guy, but it still has two batteries and and it has an LTE cellular slot that actually works under Linux, um, and it's it's pretty well priced. It's got a, it's got I think Ethernet and you it's got all the standard ports too, but it's pretty thin. It's about it's, it's about I think it might it's somewhere around the size of the Galago Pro, and uh, he loves that machine. And I can't remember what it is, but if you pinged him like a, a yeah, Telegram somewhere, he could tell you which one it is, and uh, it might be worth taking a look at it because he likes him he likes him a lot, and he's pretty hard on laptops. So that's something to consider. And he travels a ton with it, and he under Linux with his two battery setup, and it's not like it's clunky. It's you wouldn't even know because this laptop has a built-in battery and an external battery, but you wouldn't know. It's, it looks good. Uh, he gets eight nine hours all day. He doesn't he doesn't plug See, his laptop in. All, he does he doesn't he just yeah. plugs in it. He only plugs it in at home mostly, unless he has it like in a docking station. And then that's yeah. the other thing is he has a dock that he messes around with, so that way he can just plug it in. So look for something that has USB C and Thunderbolt because the docks can be really great too. Because if you really want to live the one life one laptop lifestyle, it is nice to just sit down. You plug in one cable. And all your stuff set up, your screen, your peripherals. And then when you're done, you unplug that one cable. And if you're lucky, it also is your power. And that's been a game changer for me because that's just sit down, plug in. doesn't matter if it's Linux, Mac, and all my stuff is there. My mouse, my big keyboard. Uh, yeah, that's the dream. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that, that's the – It's working. Yeah. It's, I got – you know, I really like it. It's expensive for the docks right now, but there a few more have come out. So they're, those Thunderbolt 3 docks are coming down in price now. You give another six Which months, we- it'll be even better. Right. What I, what, I, what I found super weird, so like I got frustrated. So I was like, you know what? I'm at the conference for eight hours, and I'm the jerk. Oh, uh, can you switch seats with me? Because I need the outlet. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and everybody's looking at me with their MacBooks. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you just get a Mac? Um, how is, like, is this a Linux thing? Is, cause, cause you know, I, uh, no. I've always used Linux on towers. I've never actually used them on a laptop for a period of time before. Like really traveled, like you know, across the state or out of state, no, or is this just like so the Galago? So think of the Galago Pro as like as like a reach, like like uh, like it's an intention of where they're going to create a really really portable high DPI uh, laptop, and this is version one and version two is going to have better battery life probably mm-hmm. and, and better fans, and this is version one. Um, and there's other vendors that have just been making that product like the XPS 13 and some of the ThinkPad X series and whatnot. So they've just been around for years longer. And so they're just – they're more they're, they're more iterative into the process now. And so it it shows. And both with Lenovo and, uh, uh, and Dell, for some of those laptops, the hardware has been upstream now for driver-wise for years. So the support has been baked in for quite a while. And then if you, if you, if you, really, if you really kind of – if you can live with a non 4K display, like if you can live with a like a, a, te, a 1080p or a 2K display, a lot of your other kind of issues that you run into go away. Um, 2K seems to be like the sweet spot for Linux. Most of the stuff works fine under high DPI, but the reality is you are pushing that Intel GPU to 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 run that 4K display. Yeah. So 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 this is how like the conversation um, when I was talking on Telegram. It was, hey man, you know, the Dell XPS would be an upgrade for battery life problem and for most of your fan issues. But 
you know, for everything you want, you probably should look at a desktop. Well, what is everything you want? I mean, I was, I'm really looking for like a three to five machine. Oh, right? Say it again. You cut out a little bit of what? A three to five year machine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is a little harder to do in a laptop for, for yeah. people that like you and I, again, you might talk to Noah, but, um, yeah, I don't know. That's a hard, that's a hard thing. I got to say my, my 2013 MacBook kind of worked out to be that. Um, well, like, yeah, I had a MacBook. My 2010 was pretty. I'm like two and a half years into my Dell XPS 13 right now. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I'm going to try and I mean, because here's the deal. I I fly out next Thursday. So even if like Dell did a sale on the Galago, uh, not the Galago, but the uh, oh yeah, the, the XPS, yeah, I still have the Galago. I still have the Galago. I never received the XPS from New York. Um, I'm going to try it on this next trip again. Yeah, but I have a feeling because you know the the battery wizard is not going to <laughs> you know make the battery last longer. I have a feeling that I'm going to be. Very annoyed when I when I get back, and I'm going to probably rage order it. <laughs> well, let us know what you do because I'm always curious. I get yeah, well, I'm curious. at the point where like I'm packing the MacBook with me. Oh, really? Yeah. If things get like, well, then why not just well, bring just that? Because you don't want well, to carry two laptops. Because I mean, I the like workflow, my work, the workflow. Yep. My workflow for working on Alice, in which is the whole purpose of this trip, is. Much better on Ubuntu. That's what gets me too. Uh, That's what gets me. But you know, if I take the train up to New York, Manhattan, and I'm going to be there until ten at night. Yeah, I'm going to be you know, like power socket hunting, right? Yeah. I'm yeah. going to be. Yeah. Yes, you got to yeah. It's the evil. It's, which evil do you want? The workflow evil or the power evil? Like we've we've right. been having this conversation here in the studio. There's this. We've been everything's been going great. We got everything switched over to Linux and Ubuntu, and uh, just recently all sixteen oh four. And then updates come down to Skype and to Ubuntu, and boom, our audio is totally messed up. It's what caused some of our problems last week. And right. like this platform that we've just standardized on, all of a sudden it feels a little bit like the rug was just pulling out from underneath us. And the, so the conversation we had this morning was like, well, what do we do? Do we replace it with something else? Do we just go to Windows seven, Windows ten? Do we put a Mac in there? Do we right. keep it with Linux? And at the end of the day, it's like, well, the only the only workflow I really like is the one we have under Ubuntu Unity seven sixteen oh four. I don't I don't want to switch. It's like I don't want to switch to something else because I don't like any of those other operating systems. But at the same time, my audio is totally borked. That's one of the reasons you right. and I are using a different system today because this is working much better, and I'm right. just avoiding the problem. Uh, yeah, and I, and I would say the other thing is like when I, when, when I first evaluated the Gallagher, I was mostly working in my office at home, right? So some of the problems were much less. Yep. Yep. But having taken these last two trips with it, yeah, I mean, I don't know how three and a half hours of life on a, such a small machine. Yeah, yeah, it's passed. Yeah, I, I think, that's a rough spot. The issue is they physically have a tiny battery in the thing. It's like a thirty-six watt hour battery. Yeah, and they have a really small fan, which makes it super loud. Like I, I understand the hard constraints, and I still think it's a good machine, but it might not. You can see how version, like, you can see where they're going to go with version two, and by version three, right. it's probably going to be like one yeah. of the best. Right, but the problem for me is, am I trading so much like practical ability to just not be using that? Right. And like, could I just adapt my workflow back to Mac OS and like suck it up? And, you know. I think that is the Linux thread is I think with brew and all the different terminal emulators and all of the, well, shit, it's brew, like, right. I just changed my scripts. Yep. 
And with Electron apps and all the shared text right. editors, it's all the – yeah, that is a real – I think that's that's desktop right. Linux's big problem is it's getting easier and easier both on Windows and on the Mac to replicate a Linux workflow, which sounds funny to say like that's – but it is true. It's like if you get frustrated with Linux, you invest three or four days and I'm not saying it's going to be better, but you can pretty much get reset up. That's uh... – See, the more you say it, the more I think that actually that might just be the path for this trip. If you've just got like the time. Re- well, it's Thanksgiving weekend, right? So I could go to my in-laws and like write a bunch just of Just test you know. it. Just make sure it works. <laughs> yeah. All right. Should we wrap this thing up? Let's wrap it up. All right. Now we're really going to end the show. Follow Mr. Dominic online at Dumanuka. Where else can they find some of your good work, sir? Yeah, at the Mad Botter Inc. and at DominicM.com. Follow me at Chris LAS, the network at Jupiter Signal, your feedback, code to radio.reddit.com or jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Check out our crazy live times. They're usually on Mondays, but you just never know. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar. And of course, grab the RSS feed. And you just get this show every dang week. You don't have to think about it. It just shows up automatically. Who cares when we're live? All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Coda Radio Program. We'll see you right back here next week. Next week.